Hello, Brooke family. I'm not sure um, where you are or how you'll be uh, viewing this, but um, as one of your pastors, I just want to say um, that in the midst of the chaos of today, of this season, that uh, I and your fellow pastors are praying uh, adamantly for you. Uh, we pray for um, your continued health, if you are healthy, um, or your recovery if you've been sick recently. Um, and I just pray that this word today, this message, this teaching will be edifying, that will be beneficial to you in this this moment where you find yourself. And so uh, with that, let me just pray uh, for us as a body, as a, as a people that is scattered, uh, but that is gathering together um, to watch this. So Lord God, just thank you for uh, just your word. Lord, that your word meets us where we're at. Lord God, that your word um, is a word for great seasons of, of wealth and um, everything going well, but Lord, it's a word that meets us when chaos is all around, or when pain and suffering is our reality. Lord, when we have no answers to the questions that we're asking. Lord God, I pray that you would meet us with your word even now. Lord God, that you would show us more of yourself in this season. Lord God, as we are scattered and unable to meet together, Lord, that we would have a longing and a craving for that day when we come back to be a people from all people, passionate for you. May you be glorified. May you be honored today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was thinking through what to pray for, um, Muchi really just lift it up to me uh, to have my sticky note of sorts and what God has been putting on my heart. And so as I was just praying through where, where would God lead me to bring to you, uh, Lord, uh, he brought me to the Sermon on the Mount, a passage of scripture that's been so formative um, in my own Christian development, um, both in my education, but also just as a pastor, how um, much fruit, how much substance is there for no matter what season we find ourselves in. And so uh, the passage that I just came to and, and really just felt moved to uh, bring to you today is um, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Um, and it reads like this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This passage may be familiar to you, but if we just try and jump into the section of the Sermon on the Mount with really understanding what Jesus is attempting to do in these three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, we will miss the point of this passage. We will just see it as a law of sorts that is used in a way that doesn't actually help us in our current situation. But instead, the Sermon on the Mount is actually a, a picture that Jesus is painting of a life, a life of 
we like to call the good life, living our best life, or a life of flourishing. That is what Jesus is putting before us in these three chapters. And that in this one section, this section that oftentimes is used and taken out of context, is actually a, a way that Jesus is showing us something that is inhibiting us, something that is getting in the way of our ability to live and experience that good life. And so my hope for you today is that you would see this as a balm for your soul, as you are in the midst of chaos, that you would have peace for the presence and hope for the future, because that is what Jesus offers to us in this passage. Not just stop worrying, but experience life. That's what he wants for us, is to experience life today, no matter what our circumstances may bring, no matter what the physical environment, no matter whether we can gather together or we must stay apart. We are offered life and life to the full. But there is something in, our, in the way, in the way of us being able to experience this. And what Jesus shows us is that that thing, one of the things that gets in our way is our devotion to the things of this world. As one commentator likes to say is, our lack of devotion to God and our pursuit of the things of this world create a division, a splitting of ourselves in which we are attempting to satisfy two different things that pulls us apart. And so what our goal is today is that we would not be pulled apart, but that we would be made whole. And in that wholeness, we would experience life. In that wholeness, we would be able to to love for ourselves and our family and our neighbors and our communities in the time of this chaos. That as we become whole, we can live out of and minister out of that wholeness so that life is not just experienced by us, but is experienced by all. And so we see, starting in verse 25, right? He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father cares for them. And you didn't, are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? See, this is where Jesus begins. He begins with helping us understand what is anxiety. What is Worry, And what he shows us is worry is this attempt that we make to try and add something that is not yet secure. Whether that be, as he said here, food and clothing, and we try and accumulate and we try and make things in such a way that we know that we have bread on the table and we have drink to consume. Or maybe it's, it's to such an extreme that we are even trying to add time to the life that we live. But what Jesus tells us is we have no power for either. And that anxiety is the result of this overactivity to secure something that is not yet promised. We are not promised tomorrow. We are not even promised today. So if we go around working and toiling and and being consumed by the things of today so that we can secure tomorrow, We've missed out on what God wants to show us today, what God wants to do for us and in us and through us today. And so if that is the heart of what anxiety is, is this toil, this this worrisome activity to secure something that is not promised, 
then there's something actually deeper that he shows us. There's not just the activity, but there's something beneath the activity. And that what is beneath there is lack of faith. He says, he continues, he says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But the, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into heaven, will he not much more clothe you? We see in these two examples of, of substance and of clothing that God uses the, the little things to bring us to the greater things. If God so cares about the grass of the field, which for some of us, we don't get to see a lot of flowers living in the city. But for some of us that are from the country, we can go out and we can see the great sunflower um, gardens that people have and these massive sunflowers that come out or, or lilies as they grow up in the springtime and we get to see that God cares about them. Or we can look at our window, even this morning I was looking out and there's a blue jay sitting on the tree out my window and it was a reminder that God is caring for that blue jay. That blue jay doesn't toil for tomorrow but in a sense it relies on God for today for its meal for this morning or for this evening. And if God so cares about them, would he not so much care about us? We see in, the Genesis, in Genesis 1 that we are, as humanity, we are the pinnacle, we are the ultimate part of his creation. And we ended with us to show us the value he has for us. So if he cares for them, he cares for us. But what he's also saying is not just that he cares for us, he's actually showing us that some of the questions that we're asking when we're anxious, it's not just where's my food gonna come from, or where am I gonna get drink, or where am I gonna find clothing, but what we're actually saying when we are anxious for these things is, will God provide for me today? Will God provide for me tomorrow? Is God even aware that I'm in need? Does God even care that I am in distress, that life is in chaos, that I don't know where I'm going to have that next meal? Does God really care for me? Am I really as valuable as he says he is? As he tells me that we are in creation. Because at the heart of anxiety is a lack of faith. A lack of faith of the things that we read in the scriptures, that that truly is how it is. That God truly does care for us to that extent. That God is good and will provide for us. That God is powerful to overcome something as massive as a disease and a virus. But our anxiety shows us that even though we may believe like a theist, we live more like a deist which basically means that we live and say that we believe in God, yet we live like he doesn't exist. Or if he does exist, he's totally detached from our world. And if we miss that, if his hearers miss this idea that anxiety is the result of faith, he makes it really explicit in verse 30 where he says, Oh, you of little faith, do not be anxious. We are called to be a people of faith. Despite our circumstances, despite what we may be experiencing today, we are called to be a people of faith.
But that does not mean, and I want to be really clear, that does not mean we are guaranteed a certain way of life. Because unfortunately, some of us, in God's providence and his plan, and we do not understand that, some of us will experience great wealth. And we will experience great comfort in this life. But there's other us that will not experience that. And that breaks our heart because we don't understand why that is. But what God is saying is no matter what your circumstances are, his love for you, his value for you, his care for you, his knowledge of you and your circumstances is still there. And that gives us hope to continue to press on. That gives us hope in dark days. Because one of the things that is helpful is if we understand the source of anxiety, if we understand where anxiety comes from and what is at its root, then that means we can actually do some work to help overcome it. Because if we don't know what's making us sick, then we can never actually get better. But if we do actually get to see and experience what is going on, right? When we go to the doctor and they give us a diagnosis and they're like, hey, do these things, we have a little bit of hope because we have a a means by overcoming what we're experiencing. But unfortunately, even right now, this virus, we don't have, there's not a vaccine. And much of it is you going on a ventilator if you get it, and, and hopefully your body overcomes it and is waiting for that moment. And that leads us to despair because there's nothing we can do about it. But our anxiety is not that. Because we see the cause of anxiety. But not only do we see the cause of it, but Jesus actually gives us a way of overcoming it. And I want to be real clear, the goal for us right now is not to overcome anxiety. Because if that's all we get out of this passage is you five steps to overcoming anxiety, we are no better off. Because what Jesus really wants us to see is that he's offering us life, not just lack of anxiety. He's offering us hope, not just lack of anxiety. He's offering us something far better than just a worryless life. And what is that? Well, we see. We see the steps that we need to take. He's starting in verse... 33, jumping down, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what what Jesus is telling us here is what he's telling us today is that if we really desire to overcome anxiety, if we really desire to actually experience life as he has created it for us to experience, then we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And maybe you hear that and you're like, what the heck does that mean? How does that change my current circumstances? How does that affect the way I live today? Well, glad you asked. Because There's three really important parts of this if we are truly going to step into life that he is offering us. The first is that third word in there. It says, right, but seek first. To seek, what does that mean? Well, seeking is an active participation in something. And I think this is so fundamental to how we engage with the Christian life and how we engage with life itself. Because too often we understand that Christian life is something passive. We just show up on Sunday. Well, not anymore. We just tune in on Sunday, right? We just show up in our community groups. We just gather with our friends and our, 
our neighbors. We just read our Bible and we just hope that it just be like being in those moments that something will change in us just by being there. But what Jesus is saying is, no, there's something active that you must be a part of. So when you show up on Sunday, when we get together again, it's not just being there and letting the, the songs and the word just kind of come over us, but actually actively engaging with what you're doing through them. It's not just showing up on community group and just sitting it on, well, hopefully you have a chair or a couch, but maybe it's on the floor and you're just listening to everything going on. But no, seeking first is an active participation of willingness to be vulnerable, a willingness to air out your struggles, to, to be honest about what you're going through, because it's only in that when we are first honest that God will do, can do the work that he desires. It's only when we read our Bibles each day or engage God in prayer that we are being active in it, not just checking a box and saying we've done that today, but truly seeking the one that is there to be found, and that is God, and that is ultimately his son in Jesus. That's primary, and if we miss that, then there's no other hope for us to overcome and experience the life that God wants us to. We must be active. We must seek it. We must, as the Beatitudes tell us, we must hunger for it. We must thirst for it. We are so parched, we are so hungry that we long for something more. But we just, we don't just seek it. It must become first. His kingdom of God and his righteousness must become first. But this is not just a chronological first. This isn't just like you get your priorities list, you put God there, and then maybe family, or maybe you put self there and then family and your church, and the list goes on, right? But what he's saying is, no, first is actually something that's more all-encompassing. First is more like you're putting on a new set of glasses in which now you're seeing and experiencing the world totally different. And that pair of glasses is God's kingdom and God's righteousness that allows you to engage with the broken, that allows you to engage with great food and great Jews and great, well, great wine and great clothing and parties and doing those things because you're doing it first from your experience of Christ, your experience of God, his kingdom and his righteousness. It is the lens by which we understand life. It's not the first part of the checklist, right? It is the motivating factor. But his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus, it's interesting how he puts these together because what he's signaling is what we are called to do is to seek, right, first. First what? We're supposed to seek his kingdom, his rule and his reign on earth. So we must pledge our allegiance, so to speak, right? We, we do that to pledge our allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, right? We're, alleg we're pledging our allegiance to this country. So we're pledging our allegiance to this kingdom, to this family of God. But it's not enough just to have that green card, not just to say, hey, we've punched the ticket, now we're citizens of this. But we now must actually act like that. We must live out of that identity. That allegiance must transform the way we live. Because it's not just, God's kingdom's not just one where you get the, you get the car and you're, you're now a child of God and that's it. But you must live in such a way that demonstrates that reality. And we don't have time to go into all that, I would challenge you to read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. That is what you'll see over and over again is a picture of what this life looks like in this new kingdom. What this life looks like as it was meant to be.
free from sin, free from Satan, free from the snares of this world. And ultimately, it's, it's a, an experience of life with a vision for the future. Because if you actually look at what Jesus does, is he tells us, he asks us, is not life more than food and more than your drink and more than your clothing? And what he's saying is, do you not have a better picture, a better vision for your life than just these things? Because if that is all your life is, is just filling up your body and, and quenching your thirst and putting on some nice clothes, you're missing out. You're missing out on so much because you have lost any kind of vision, any kind of picture of what life is meant to be. And so I end this with, what does this look like? How do we live out of this? What are these, what's, how does this kingdom perspective, this new citizenship, this righteousness, how does that affect we live today? How does that affect the way that we exist even in the midst of COVID-19? But COVID-19 will disappear. COVID-19 will pass away and there'll be something else. Maybe it's a death of a family member. Maybe it's a, a retirement fund that fell apart. Maybe it's a friendship that is no longer. Maybe it's the divorce of a marriage. It's, the list is endless. Because all those things, if we're not careful, will lead to anxiety. Because we're longing for them to be something more than they're meant to be. And so how do we live out of this reality? I, I really think of it kind of in four circles. First, this, this living in light of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First, we must engage in the disciplines. The disciplines of reading our, our Bible, praying to God, engaging in what kind of community we can. Because there's a sense we must first be formed into these people. We must be formed into the children of God, the people of God. And so we must first start with ourselves. Are we doing the work in this moment, in this time? When chaos is all around, are we doing the work of caring for ourselves? Many of us have extra time right now. And we're distracting ourselves from what's going on when this is actually a perfect opportunity for us to begin preparing for what God wants to do in the future. And that preparation must first start with ourselves. So may we be a people that has devoted to the word and to prayer because we do believe that it transforms who we are. And then as we've done that work, as we've done the work of self, right, we, we then begin to move into family. How do we begin caring for our family, whether that be our, if we're a husband, our wife, and our kids, or, or our extended family, whatever that family dynamic is, how do we begin out of wholeness of self, begin to pursue wholeness of relationship? How do we begin being vulnerable if necessary so that others may experience this life that we are experiencing? And I want to be really cautious because, especially in our moment right now, there's a, there's a tendency for people to either be super guarded or utterly carefree. And we probably know people, and there's probably many of us watching this that are one of those two boats. But as one commenter I was reading made it real clear, there's something fundamentally different between being careless and being carefree. We are not to be a careless people. We must care for ourselves and one another. And sometimes that, makes, that means sacrificing our ability to actually engage with one another, as we're doing now. Our inability to, to gather as a body, we're making that sacrifice because we care for the people that are in our family. 
that we call the brook. And sometimes that means sacrificing our ability to engage with our family because we could put our family in jeopardy by just being around them. But sometimes we actually need to go that extra mile and and be vulnerable and be willing to engage because that's what somebody needs right now. They need some physical presence. Maybe just six feet across the table, but they need physical presence. So may we be a people that is first committed to wholeness in ourselves and wholeness in our family. May we be a people, even right now as we cannot gather, committed to wholeness of our church. Because I think it's really easy just to be like, okay, now we have church online on, on Sundays and we now are going to start having groups online. But if we expect those things to satisfy our cravings for community, we're going to be missing out. When was the last time you called somebody from this church that you haven't seen in a couple weeks because you don't see them on Sunday and asked how are they doing? That you checked in on those that you call friends of the brook and asked how are they doing? Not just physically, but emotionally. How are they handling the stress? Maybe a single mom that now is at home and homeschooling, and I know that with my wife, having three kids at home, how much stress she's in. Are we drawing near to those? Are we drawing near to the vulnerable, to the forgotten, to the outcast? And then we have a responsibility to communities that we live in, whether that be at work, and we have to lead a team of, of coworkers, it is our responsibility out of our wholeness to bring that to others so that they may begin experiencing wholeness in life. And that may be our communities in which we serve one another, in which we go and have food banks, or we, or we partner with other organizations that are doing good work. Because I think it would be a crying shame to see the communities we live in rallying to each other And they don't know Christ, yet we know Christ and we know life and we hold it to ourselves. We isolate, we keep from all others. But this is a time for us to step up wisely, prudently, thoughtfully. But this is a time for us to not just pivot and get used to how things are now, but begin planning for the future. Because if you watch the course of history, God has always used moments like this to bring glory to his name and expand his church. And in the fourth century, there was a plague that ravaged Rome. And it was this infantile group of people that we now call the church and Christians that began serving their neighbors, began serving their communities, that were going, not just protecting themselves, but drawing near to those that were broken and those that were in need. And there's a historian, his name is Eusebius, he leaves with this account. He says, the deeds of the Christians were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. It is my prayer, it is my hope that that would be said of us. That the deeds of the Believers, the members of the brook, it was on their lips, and they glorified the God of the brook. May that be said of us. May that be our story, that we don't allow anxiety to keep us from life, but not just keep us from life, but also keep us from extending life to others. May we be that 
in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this moment. Let me pray. Lord God, just thank you for your word, uh, Lord, that it is a word um, that has stood the test of time. Lord, a word that meets us both in the high times and the low times. A word that is um, ever present, ever near. Lord God, I pray that we would, um, we would go to war. We would do battle with our anxiety. Yes, it makes sense to have it with everything going on. Lord, I pray that you would show us where we are lacking faith. And may we cry out if we don't understand, oh Lord, help my unbelief. Because it's only as we begin to overcome our anxiety, as we begin to step in life as you are offered it to us, that then we can extend that to others. We will never be as effective if we don't first experience life ourselves. So may we experience that today. In Jesus' name, amen.